This is C-SPAN's The Weekly for May 25th, 2018. I'm Steve Scully in Washington. Our guest for this episode of C-SPAN's The Weekly Podcast is global opinion writer for The Washington Post, Jason Rezaian. In 2012, he moved to Iran, serving as The Washington Post foreign affairs correspondent based in Tehran. Two years later, in 2014, he was taken hostage by Iranian authorities, convicted in a closed-door trial, and held for 544 days until his release in 2016. He joins us to talk about his experience in that country and what might be in store now that the U.S. has withdrawn from the Iran nuclear deal. But first, some background. In 1953, the United States played a key role in securing the Shah of Iran's power in that country. We overthrew that country's elected prime minister. Then in 1979, the Shah was overthrown and a hostage crisis followed. It was a drama that played out nightly on national television. This is ABC News Nightline. Reporting from Washington, Ted Koppel. Good evening. This is a new broadcast in the sense that it is permanent and will continue after the Iran crisis is over. There will also be nights when Iran is not the major story. When we'll bring you briefly up to date on Iran, but we'll focus on some other story. That's not the case tonight. Again, today, Iran is the major story. And for the first time on television, we'll provide the opportunity for the wife of an American hostage to speak live with an Iranian official. Those American hostages would be free on January 20th, 1981. We have a report. I am just told that the Associated Press reports that the hostages are leaving Tehran. They say that the hostages are leaving the airport. They're free. They're free, Mr. President. They're free, Mr. President. We've had press reports that they're free. The hostages. We've had press reports. What do you have to say about that? What do you have to say? There's only one thing to say. Thank God. 37 years later, relations remain strained between the United States and Iran. In just a short period of time, the world's leading state sponsor of terror will be on the cusp of acquiring the world's most dangerous weapons. Therefore, I am announcing today that the United States will withdraw from the Iran nuclear deal. President Trump earlier this year Understanding Iran is our topic for C-SPAN's The Weekly Podcast. And my first question to Jason Rezaian, with the U.S. announcing a new round of sanctions aimed at that country, what does this mean for the United States and what does this mean for the Iranian government? Well, it's a good question. I think uh, it's unclear what it's going to mean for the United States. And I think that the notion that the U.S. is going to be somehow uh, isolated by this is maybe uh, a bit of a... A stretch, but I know that there are, are uh, many governments that we're allied with, that we cooperate with, that are looking at, at, at what we're planning to do with Iran very closely and concerned, uh, concerned that, uh, that the nuclear deal was working uh, and that, um, that this is an international agreement between multiple nations. Um, and and what, what does America's word mean in the world? Uh, in, a, in a time when, um, you know, less than two years after implementing such a deal, they'd pull out of it. So I think that's first and foremost, uh, you know, it's a bit more abstract what it means for America um, right now, and I think that'll play out over the coming months. But what it means for Iran is probably a, a very tough economic road ahead for the people of Iran. 
they've been facing uh, you know, the effects of sanctions for decades, and during the Obama years, uh, those sanctions were stronger than ever before. Some would say that uh, it forced the government's hand and forced them to the negotiating table. Um, but I think to a lot of people looking at it, and uh, I think a, lo- a lot of Iranians on the ground will feel um, somehow betrayed by a process that they thought uh, their government had entered into in good faith. Now, that's not to say that, that the, the majority of people in Iran support the Islamic Republic. There's no way of gauging the, the regime's support because things like uh, surveys and polls are not freely uh, undertaken inside Iran. Uh, but based on my experiences with that country and my experiences during the previous sanctions regime, um, you know, it makes life difficult. You know, in, 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 the, in the early weeks and months after new sanctions are imposed, there are certain um, things that fall by the wayside. And, and you know, among them, access to, to medication and, and food um, that are specialized uh, imports and it's not that, that those medicines, for example, were blocked by previous sanctions from entering Iran, but you know there was no way to transact because Iran had been cut off from the international banking system. Uh, so you know I think the key is to be very uh, wise and prudent about how you move forward with the sanctions program, and I don't have the sense that that's what's going on right now. I want to come back to many of these points in just sure. a moment, but let's take a broader look at Iran and the United States. How did we go from the Shah in the 1950s through the late 70s as a close ally of the United States to the hostage crisis in 1979 to where relations are today in 2018? Well, I don't think much has evolved uh, since 1979. And I I think so much of it goes back to to that initial wound of, of the embassy being taken over. Now, the Iranians would say, for us, it goes back to 1953 when uh, the U.S. Uh, supported the overthrow of their democratically elected prime minister. So, you know, there's been this strange relationship with Iran for many years between Iran and, and the U.S. In the 1960s and 70s, there was a lot of trade. Uh, you know, the, the Shah was considered one of our uh, top allies in the region, if not the top ally. Uh, there were more Iranian students studying in American universities than, than students of any other country in the world. So there was this great exchange of, of culture and commerce for many years, uh, and that was effectively stopped in, in 1979 when, when the revolution happened. Um, and, you know, the, the attitude has been a fairly antagonistic one on both sides ever since. And there have been moments where um, opportunities opened for cooperation, you know, the nuclear deal was, was one of those. Um, you know, also in the wake of um, the September 11th attacks before we, um, before we began bombing uh, Afghanistan, there were agreements in place that the U.S. could use Iranian airspace. But, you know, these, these were all missed opportunities because they, they always invariably were followed by uh, some bombast from one side or the other. So it's... Uh, it's sort of a, a tragic um, relationship where I think uh, both parties have a lot of responsibility in it. We're talking with Jason Rezaian, and thanks for letting us come to the Washington Post newsroom. Thanks for coming. On K Street here in Washington, D.C. Should the United States be worried about Iran and its nuclear program? I think Iran, uh, the United States should be worried about Iran in terms of 
the um, the role that it plays in the Middle East and also uh, the way it treats its own people. I don't think that, that Iran has ever been proven to be a, a, a threat to our American way of life. And when you look at the, the statistics and, and, the, and the data, um, Iran is not even uh, a top five military force in their own region. Um, they don't have the opportunity or the ability to, to buy weapons from us the way that, that the Saudis, the Israelis, um, the Emiratis, the, the, and the list goes on and on. I mean, there's, there's many countries in that region that are well better, uh, much better equipped and armed than, than Iran is. Uh, I think on the nuclear front, the whole point of the nuclear deal was to uh, to defuse even the smallest possibility that Iran might build a bomb. And, you know, they haven't been honest in the past about their intentions. That's why the deal that was negotiated allowed for extremely rigorous and, uh, and, and, and deep access to uh, their nuclear sites. It limited what they could do in terms of enrichment moving forward. And, um, you know, the, the intelligence data and the IAEA's um, quarterly um, reports on whether or not Iran was in compliance every single time uh, we came back and said, you know, Iran is complying completely with this 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 deal. Even Secretary of State Pompeo, who had some very strong words today, um, you know, reiterated uh, three four weeks ago that you know we don't we didn't think Iran was going for a bomb when we forced them uh, to negotiate this deal, and we don't think that they're going to rush to one now. So, you know, I think that there's a lot of rhetoric back and forth, um, but ultimately it doesn't seem like there is an active Iranian weapons program, and there probably hasn't been one since at least 2003. And so a lot of this just seems like old news. Here is the Secretary of State as he talked about Iran this past week. America's commitment to the Iran strategy President Trump laid down in October remains. It will now be executed outside of the JCPOA. We'll continue to work with allies to counter the Iran's destabilizing activities in the region, block their financing of terror, and address Iran's proliferation of missiles and other advanced weapon systems that threaten peace and stability. We will also ensure Iran has no path to a nuclear weapon. Not now, not ever. Jason Resign, as you hear from the Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, why do you think President Trump has such distrust towards this agreement? Is it because he doesn't like the agreement? Is it because it was put in place by Barack Obama, his predecessor? What's motivating the Trump administration? I think it was it, it was largely the fact that it was uh, you know a legacy of the Obama administration, and one that wherever you stand on that deal, that the Obama administration was very um, content with. I mean, I think it was their signature foreign policy move by most accounts. And um, unraveling it or pulling the United States out of it doesn't seem to serve any purpose whatsoever, especially not at this particular moment. I've written and spoken publicly about the fact that there are still American uh, citizens being unjustly detained inside Iran the way I was. And, uh, you know, by pulling out of this deal, we're closing off our avenues to negotiations on any subject with Iran. 
Uh, so I argue that, that in doing this, we left Americans behind. And that, that's one small bit of the puzzle, but for me a very important one. Uh, and I think we've seen time and time and time again that uh, having constructive relations and negotiations and discussions with all powers is in our best interest. Uh, this Secretary of State and this administration have embarked on talks with North Korea uh, to, to, they hope, defuse the North Korean uh, nuclear threat. If you look back at your history, um, you know, throughout the entire Cold War, we maintained an embassy in Moscow, and the Soviets maintained one in, in, in Washington, D.C. Uh, so I, I just don't see what the, um, what the rationale is. Um, you know, it's not to discount any of Iran's bad deeds uh, in their neighborhood or around the world. Um, but, uh, you know, I think trying to push them into a corner and by extension trying to push the people of Iran into a corner by experiencing uh, the effects of such punitive sanctions that are being discussed um, is misguided. I realize it's... Uh not a monolithic group, but how can we best understand the people of Iran, and how many live there? There's about 80, 85 million people living in Iran. It's a very um, educated population, one of the most educated in the Middle East. Uh, it's a highly literate pop population, uh, and it's a population that's, that's well-connected to um, the outside world digitally. You know, it's very difficult for Iranians to travel. It's one of the uh, uh, least recognizable or least appreciated passports in the world. Their currency is not convertible anywhere else in the world. Um, and yet, Iranians are, are great consumers of uh, media, technology. Um, at least half of Iranians are, uh, are online and are active online. Um, so, you know, I think there is a way uh, and, and, and multiple angles and opportunities to uh, to reach out and communicate and, and talk to the people of Iran. Um, but I, th I don't think that we've been successful in that. And it's a very young population. It's very young. It's, been, it's, you know, it's, it's getting older, uh, but still a very young population. I don't know what the exact statistics were, but up until a couple of years ago, something like 70% of the population was under 35 years old. And, you know, in... in in most, as I mentioned earlier, surveys are hard to, to understand, but uh, the ones that have been conducted there, not by, uh, by Iranians, but by uh, Western um, pollsters, show that the, the people of Iran are incredibly pro-America um, and, in, and, and pro-engagement. Which is such a dichotomy. It's an incredible dichotomy, but again, it's exacerbated... Uh, the pain and suffering is exacerbated when we do things like uh, implement travel bans and make it difficult for them to, to come here. My attitude has always been, uh, you know, you're, you're best served by, by creating opportunities for people of, of all countries to uh, mix and mingle and, and tensions generally de-escalate in, in those sorts of environments um, rather than, than forcing people apart. Let's listen to the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu as he talked about Iran and its government. Iran was required by the IAA to come clean by the nuclear deal, to come clean to the International Atomic Energy Agency about its nuclear program. This was an explicit condition 
for implementing the nuclear deal. Iran has to come clean. So in December 2015, the IAEA published its final assessment of what it called the military aspects of Iran's nuclear program. This is the report. This was Iran's chance to fully come clean to the IAEA. They could tell the truth. They could say, we had this program, the secret program. It's over. We shelved it. It doesn't exist. We destroyed the material. Here's what Iran actually told the IAEA. It said, Iran denied the existence of a coordinated program aimed at the development of a nuclear explosive device and specifically denied, get this, specifically denied the existence of the Ahmad plan. That was the Israeli Prime Minister. Jason resigned. Does Israel have a point? There's a lot of distrust between the Israeli government and the Iranian government. Look, I mean, I think that, that Israel has its fair concerns about its security. It's in a tense part of the world, uh, and it makes up a very different um, population and, and, and population makeup than, than its neighbors, and then obviously Iran. And Iran has consistently had a very um, anti-Israeli policy, an anti-Israel policy. It's one of the few, few nations in the world that, that doesn't recognize Israel as a, as a state. Uh, that being said, uh, Israel has long had an anti-Iran policy, and I think it's a two-way street that, uh, that I hope um, does not culminate in a head-on collision. Um, you know, we see a lot of, uh, of skirmishes and, and, and missiles and rockets being fired back and forth in Syria and the Golan Heights, in that area. Um, and I think that, you know, we're, we're closer to a, uh, you know, I don't want to say a full-blown military confrontation between these two countries, but, um, you know, w there's definitely proxy fights going on right now. And I don't think, uh, I just don't think it, it behooves anybody. And they're not talking to each other? No, no, they, they, they don't talk to each other. You spent how many years in Iran? Uh, I spent five years there uh, of my own free will and, uh, and another year and a half as a long-term guest. I know you don't want to talk about your captivity because a book is coming out in January, but generally speaking, before you were held by the Iranian government, what was the experience like for you? Look, I, I, I went to Iran to report from there because I, I had traveled uh, to many countries around the world. Uh, my father happened to come from Iran, and uh, you know I, w I was building up a, a freelance journalism career, and I realized that Iran was a country that was very fascinating and never boring. Uh, and I had the attitude that I, I wanted to see what was going to happen next there. Um, for so many of the reasons that we've talked about, you know, it's a, it's a country with a, with a very clear um, ideological leadership that is oftentimes at odds with its own people. Um, and I think that that interplay uh, was an incredible thing to watch because you can't call Iran a totalitarian country. I mean, you know, it's very much an authoritarian uh, system, but it's not, uh, you know, a one-man monolith. There are internal struggles and internal politics that take place. There is, you know, not a huge premium put on public opinion, but uh, it, it can't, at the same time, it can't be ignored altogether. Um, so, I, you know, I, I think that, that it's, a, it's a place where, um, you know, 
anybody that's visited there, anybody that spent any time there, uh, develops a, an affinity for those people. It's an old country with so much history uh, and, and so much in terms of what it's brought to, uh, to civilization over the centuries and millennia. And so for that reason, it was, it was, a, it was a great place to, uh, to be based in terms of keeping my, um, my mind engaged and excited. But at the same time, it's a very uh, hostile atmosphere towards journalists and oftentimes hostile towards Westerners. Um, you know, you, d you live with the looming specter of surveillance and... Um, Interrogation, unfortunately, in my case, arrest. Um, Did you know that before your arrest? No. No, I mean, you know, I, I had been, um, well, I knew that, that, uh, that, that my phones were probably listened to and that um, um, I'd been leaned on by authorities like any other journalist has worked there and work in a lot of countries. But, um, you know, it, it, it never stopped me from doing my job. Um, and there, there was no sign that this was coming. So, you know, it was a, it was a great experience to, to live and work there as long as I did. And, um, you know, my great hope after all of that time and all of the experience that followed and everything since is that, you know, the Iranian people get a fair shake um, from the world. And I, I, I don't see it happening yet. And of course, Jason Resign, when that book comes out in January, uh, we hope to include you in our conversations on Book TV on C-SPAN too, but just a quick question about how you're researching the book and what do you want the readers to come away from when it's published? Well, I mean, I think it's a, uh, hopefully a continuation of, of uh, the work that I've been doing for many years. Uh, you know, I, I want people to take a long, hard look at what they know and don't know about that country and its society, and I hope that, that there's some fresh insights for people and, and uh, folks that, uh, that may have... Uh, uh, some pretty hardened, preconceived ideas one way or the other about Iran uh, will allow those to be um, moved a bit. Do you think there is a path moving ahead in which there could be some sort of rapprochement between our two countries? I think that, that there's always a possibility for that, and I think that we were closer to that um, two years ago. And uh, we're probably closer to that a month ago than we are right now. Um, I think we're we're farther away from it than we have been uh, since uh, at least the um, the first uh, Obama term. Uh, but that's not to say that that uh, that opening is impossible. I don't deal in possibilities. Do you have a sense though that U.S. businesses? remain eager to do business in Iran? Look, this is something that I've, I've written about um, often. I know that there are a lot of businesses that would like to engage in commerce with Iran. Um, there are many concerns about doing so. One that, that, I, that I talk about often is Iran's um, inability or, or so far uh, unwillingness to um, guarantee the safety of guest workers and, and foreign investors in the country. I know from conversations with um, with executives that this is a concern that they have, uh, and I think it's one that, that the Iranians could, uh, frankly, address very easily, but have refused to do so f so far. Um, you know, there's there's other 
things at play as well. I mean, you know, as new sanctions are probably coming down the line, even in these two years that the nuclear deal was was implemented, um, you know, there were other sanctions still in place, and people, businesses, large and small, don't want to run afoul of of those sorts of measures. So I think it's a it's a landscape that's still very fraught. You know, good luck walking into your local uh, Wells Fargo and making a, a wire transfer to an account in Tehran. It's not possible. It hasn't been possible for many years. Uh, and I think until those sorts of uh, very basic um, ways of communicating and transacting are um, are brought back online again, and I don't see any sign of that happening anytime soon, especially with new sanctions. I think that the the ability for for major corporations to do any business with Iran would be very limited. I want to go back to something we talked about earlier. Having not been in Iran, like many Americans, if you and I were to land in Tehran and walk down the main street, what would it be like? What's what's the city like? What are the people like? What are the shops like? Well, I mean, I think that uh, that Iran, Tehran, especially, is a, is a big and frenetic city with a lot of energy. Some of the um, the the most chaotic traffic in the world. Um, but you know the the worse than New York or Boston, worse, much worse, uh, or better. You know, depending on how you look <laughs> on it. But, I mean, it's 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 very difficult situation to navigate as a pedestrian or a driver. Um, you know, I think the uh, the amount of um, of foreign products, whether it's you know candy bars uh, or iPhones, um, would be surprising to most people. There's a real thirst for. Uh, for the same kind of products that other people use around the world. There's a friendliness and an eagerness to uh, connect with with foreigners. Iran is not a, a country that gets visited very often by by most people around the world. So, um, you know, when you are visibly not from there, you're often um, greeted with, uh, with a lot of curiosity, but also hospitality. Um, and I think that, uh, you know... <laughs> There's also uh, a deep and obvious presence of religion um, and history. You know, the Iran-Iraq War, which ended in uh, 1988, um, is still a very looming factor in the psyche of the people, and there are monuments and murals and streets named after boys that were killed in, in the war. All over the country, and uh, and I think that's a a consistent reminder of of Iran's recent past for for anybody that that goes there. Um, and it, it's it's a it's a city not like any other city that I've been to. And one final question: Where is the power center? Who runs the country? <laughs> I think we'll have to You're come laughing. on. And, we'll have to come on and have a, a, a much longer discussion about that. Obviously, the the supreme leader is the final arbiter on on most decisions, but there are competing centers of power uh, in the presidency, um, in in his cabinet, in the IRGC, um, and and also within the Iranian parliament, which is um, filled with uh, people of all ages, but um, there are a lot of holdovers from the early days of the revolution. So, you know, there there are a lot of people vying for it, I would say that that the only uh, consistent um, commonality that they have is that they all believe in the importance uh, of the longevity of their system. That's the only thing they can agree on.
Jason Resign, we thank you for your hospitality here at the Washington Post. Thanks for coming. We look forward to the book coming out in January. Do you have a title, by the way? Uh, coming soon. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you for listening to C-SPAN's The Weekly Podcast. And by the way, you can find our programming on Twitter at C-SPAN Radio and find other episodes wherever you listen to podcasts.